Hello, and welcome to Aluticast. In today's episode, I am interviewing an elder from our community, my great-grandfather, Carl Ellison. In this special episode, he shares what growing up on a Fognac was like, his experience during the 1964 earthquake, and many memorable stories. So, what was growing up on a, on a Fognac like? Uh, starting when I was a kid? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it was nice and quiet and peaceful and no, you know, no noise. We just uh, had a lot of work to do because, uh, um, you know, we didn't have any running water. We didn't have any electricity. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any vehicles. Well, we had bicycles, about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we just, uh, I just went to... Uh, grade school there from grade one through eight there was no kindergarten then and Mm -hmm. uh after that uh, you know i had to make the decision on um where to go to high school and uh it was like i had a couple three choices one was southeastern one was uh in kodiak here Mm -hmm. and uh, i elected to come to kodiak to go to high school Mm mm-hmm uh, what's... But, uh, oh, go ahead. you know, as far as uh, doing things as kids at home, we had we had very uh, uh, different uh, things to do, you know, our parents gave us to do. But for me, it was like I had to carry all the water, to fresh water to our house for drinking water, for mm-hmm. cooking for washing dishes, uh, rinsing, washing clothes and rinsing, and uh, had to do this right away in the morning before I went to school. And then uh, I think when I was like in sixth grade, this old man that had problems with his feet and so forth, uh, I, I had to start carrying water for him and he mm-hmm. lived across, he was, he lived down the road from us. And uh, so in the summertime, I had to walk around the lake with his water. And it was, it was uh, a lot longer than in the wintertime where the lakes would freeze and uh, I could go right across the lake. Mm-hmm. But we carried water in buckets and usually carried us two buckets, you know, as big as you could carry. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you don't have to make so many trips back and forth (laughs) and uh, our water was a a well it was there was a nice spring there so it it came up from way underneath the ground Mm -hmm. and even in the winter time when it was 10 degrees out you could see the water just kind of like boiling (laughs) it it and that's a spring because it's it's moving from the inside the earth, you know, coming up. Mm-hmm. And that was very good water. And um, well, most other places had wells and or they took water from the creeks, mm-hmm. fast moving creeks. Mm-hmm. And um, um a lot of our heat was dependent on wood, so we were always getting wood, whether it be 
you know, from falling trees and sledding them down, cutting them up. And there was no chainsaws then, so everything was by hand. So you had to stack the, you know, load the sleds up and uh, sled them on the snow and ice down to your house. And then you just stockpile them there. And uh, and uh, when when you had time, like my schedule was uh, after school, you, you split wood and you, you took... Uh, wood into the house you chopped the kingling to start the fires and uh, so i'd have to you know do the kinglings and take them in the house so everything would be ready for in the morning when when you know you want to uh, get additional heat mm-hmm. um for heat we had uh, oil cook stoves and they were diesel and you know they just uh, burned continually for heat and also for cooking and there were big stoves and, uh, you know, that's one of the things when you have to uh, use oil, um, we had to come to Kodiak on a bigger boat and with about 30 or 40, 55 gallon drums mm-hmm. and fill them up and take them back home. Then you had to put them over the side of the boat and tie them up and get a skiff and tow them ashore, then you just untie them and roll them up the beach a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, above the high water mm-hmm. mark. And so when that happened, you know what you had to do after school. <laughs> <laughs> you had to go roll a drum, at least a drum or two of oil up to the house. And, you know, some of the houses were quite a ways from the beach. And so it it was uh, it was just a you know took a lot of time because everything was done by hand. Mm-hmm. And also groceries, uh, we had a little grocery store there, and uh, but most everybody ordered a big order for what they called the winter, mm-hmm. uh, and they'd order. Uh, sacks of potatoes, onions, you know, rice Mm -hmm. and canned foods of all kinds. And uh, because we had no freezers or anything, refrigerators, we had to uh, get um, barrels, wood barrels of uh, like butter. The butter came in a brine, salt brine, Mm -hmm. and, and they came in one pound packages and they were wrapped. And you had to go out to the shed and take them out of the barrel and let them dry out and rinse them off and then take them <laughs> into the house. <laughs> so, you know, it was it was just, uh, it took a lot of time mm-hmm. because of, uh, you know, not having the, the chainsaws and the vehicles and uh, everything like that. We, we moved everything. Um, on wheelbarrows mm-hmm. or e- either that in the winter time on sleds. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it was um, as far as entertainment as, you know, kids. Uh, we always had something going. We, we invented our own games mm-hmm. playing on land or either on the ice or in the water. And uh, 
you know, it was just uh, something to keep, you know, us busy, mm -hmm. the kids. And we had, uh, we had the road out front that went along the beach to the school. And guess what? The school was on the north end of the village. Mm -hmm. So, so all the south end kids had to walk all the way from the end, walk all the way to school. And then we just, you know, tag along and there'd be a whole group of kids walking to school together. <laughs> and also when you get out of school, another big bunch of kids walking home. <laughs> but when it was uh, not winter, you know, spring and fall, we'd have to walk the main roads. And there was the main road and then there was a back, what they call a back trail. Mm -hmm. And the elders built that for us because it was a real swamp, low-lying area. Uh, and it was, you know, heavily uh, treed. I mean, full, full of spruce trees. Mm -hmm. <coughs> and so it would give us protection when the wind was blowing mm -hmm. and it was raining or snowing. So we'd get a little protection. We'd be able to walk, you know, under the trees and so forth. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, when, uh, when the lakes froze over, we were able to walk on the lakes and that gave us a more direct route. Mm -hmm. You know, we could just walk through, um, go on the lake and walk through a swamp. We had a trail going to the north and then come out on the lake on the north side and then, you know, walk to school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we played our um, traditional games that, you know, that were passed on for years and years. And then we kind of invented our own tree uh, um, games. Uh, and we play them on the ice with ice skates on or either on, on land. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, like, for example, sometimes if we we went by the the tide book a lot of times because a lot of times you determined where you're going to walk to school on the you know on the beach or you know on mm -hmm. the path above the beach, and uh, so if there was a big tides minus tides and the moon was full and the lakes were frozen. Right after school, we take our our hand saws and axes, and we uh, cut some trees and branches down after school and move them down to the ice. And then when we come back later after we ate dinner, came back and put our ice skates on, we tow all those branches and wood across to where we were going to build a bonfire. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd build a, a bonfire and... Um, a lot of the elder people came around, you know, and just to be with us, I guess. But they also brought out uh, guitars, banjos, and accordions, and they'd play music mm -hmm. in the wintertime, and we're skating. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that was a really, really fun time. Mm -hmm. And... Even when we were playing uh, like Laptuk, which was our mm -hmm. a game, uh, we'd be playing on the main road, 
you know, I mean, it's just a little path that mm-hmm. was our main road. <laughs> <laughs> we'd have a, we'd mark out our field and we'd play choose up sides and we'd play leptic and, you know, somebody walking down the road, an elder or something, they'd say, can we join? Oh yeah, uh, get another person. And so we could, you, you could go on that team and, you know, the other one could go on the other team. And we just continue playing. And sometimes the teams got real big if, you know, the elders wanted to play ball too. <laughs> <laughs> so that was our entertainment. Uh, from, uh, you know, what we used to do. Mm-hmm. And then we had other card games we used to play in the house when it was stormy and nasty and everything. And uh, um, about every two weeks or so, the school would get a movie. And mm-hmm. so we knew when there was going to be a movie because the school teacher would go check the mail. And if he had some uh, movies, films, they came on big reels. And so he'd be carrying these uh, brown boxes towards the school. And we'd know, oh boy, there's going to be a movie this Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody would, everybody from the village would walk to the north to the school at night. And you'd see them, you'd hear them talking at night, walking down the road towards the school. And when it was real dark, people used flashlights, you know, to see where they're going. And uh, so we'd all go to the movie and uh, enjoy a movie now and then. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. And then, you know, in the, in the, in the summertime, uh, most everybody, uh, you know, the fathers and grandfathers, they worked, uh, they fished for salmon or either they worked in canneries. They had to go away from the village and the ones that worked in the cannery would be gone for three months, all summer long. <laughs> and, you know, my, my two grandpas, uh, they worked in, Car- one worked in Carlock uh-huh. and the other worked in Uyak and later worked in uh, Port Bailey. But they're on the way on the west side of the island, which is a long ways away. And my those two grandpas, they used to row, <laughs> row a boat. And this is like, you know, 30 or 40 miles. Mm-hmm. They had to row a boat. Oh. And they had to take food and shelter because sometimes the, the weather would, blow up and get bad and they'd have to take your skiff ashore and pull it up on the beach and um no outboards then no outboards mm-hmm. that's why and they had two uh, set up in this in the boat where two people could row at once uh, um, mm-hmm. so there'd be two sets of oars and they just trade off you mm-hmm. know and, and row did they and, uh, how did they know their way? Was it through like landmarks? Did they stay kind of close to the shore and? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we uh, from a Fognac village, uh, Carlock and Uyak were on Kodiak Island, but on oh, the west okay. side. So you'd uh, 
you could row, you could see Kodiak Island from a fog neck. So you mm-hmm. just row, you know, on that side and stay pretty close to the shore unless the weather was real nice and you could take, you know, kind of shortcuts and not have to go in a bay and, you know, you'd go straight mm-hmm. across. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when it was blowing hard or it was rough, then you'd um, kind of follow the shore. Mm-hmm. It was a big part of our life, it, mm-hmm. you know, keeping busy and playing and outside. We invented our own game of golf. <laughs> we heard of golf. We didn't have no golf clubs. We didn't have no golf balls, but they had other balls. And you know what we do for golf clubs? Sticks. We'd go, we'd go look at trees and mm-hmm. find branches that are a good shape like a golf club. <laughs> And that's what we'd use. That would be our golf clubs. And we played this mostly in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And we played in the snow and everything. When the deep, when the snow got deep, um, we'd use bigger balls <laughs> so you <laughs> could find them. <laughs> and colored ones. <laughs> because there was no graders. There was no nothing. There was, you know, if mm-hmm. you want to move snow... You had to use a shovel. <laughs> and, you know, th- there was no graders that went down our road. There's nothing that went down our road but our little old feet. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, like uh, our mail, mm-hmm. we'd get mail once a month. Oh, huh. Yeah. Once a month, and it would, it the mailboat would start off in Kodiak here with all the mail, and it's have it separated for the different villages mm-hmm. in mail sacks, and like he'd go from here to uh, uh, Old Harbor, mm-hmm. and he'd offload the the mail there. Then he'd go down to Akiok, then he'd go around the end of uh, uh, Kodiak Island to Carlook. And Larson Bay and Uyak and Uganic and, you know, Port Bailey and the Fognac Village. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was just, that's how it was. Then you had the postmaster and everybody went down to the beach to help carry the mail sacks to the post office. Because hmm. they wanted their mail, you know. <laughs> so, you know, we got to get the mail, mail sacks to the postmaster so he could start you know sorting the mail mm-hmm. and then you know giving it out yeah so you know everything was kind of drawn out mm-hmm. you know it was something that wasn't you know it just happened uh quickly it was it was everything was kind of slower moving mm-hmm. yeah and we uh other things I didn't talk about was uh um minus tides always in the wintertime happened at night when it's mm-hmm. dark. So there's an old saying when the tide is out, the table is set. <laughs> and what that means is um we we could go down when the when the tide is out, we could dig clams. Oh. We could get octopus, we could get sea urchins, 
and the ducks would land out in the in the tide pools mm-hmm. and we'd sit for them or sneak on them and shoot <laughs> the ducks and then you know we take them home and pluck them and gut them and next day it's fresh meat mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was no elk or deer on the fog neck then so uh i think probably i know we did a lot of rabbit hunting we ate rabbits mm-hmm. and that's what uh, sometimes we take our 22s to school and then on the way home we hunt rabbits <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on weekends and so forth we also trapped uh, weasels ermine mm-hmm. yeah but uh you know the ocean and was a big uh big help to us in providing for us we had uh butter clams on the south side of the island we had uh, the uh razor clams on the north side below the school mm-hmm. and in the spring and in the fall also we take this line and we tie hooks on it and put bait on the hooks and when the tide was out we'd stretch it all the way out as far as we could put it and put rocks on top of it <laughs> and then uh when the tide was uh high and before we got out of school we'd uh, go down and pull that line in and uh, sometimes we had 3 4 halibut on it <laughs> so everybody would get halibut Everybody, hmm. kids would be walking home with fresh halibut. <laughs> <laughs> and there again, you know, you didn't, you couldn't freeze it. So you just about had to eat it pretty soon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And in, like the store in a Fognac village, you know, it didn't have any fresh meat or nothing because, you know, you couldn't keep anything because, uh, no electricity, no freezers or anything. Mm-hmm. She just got a few tomatoes and lettuce and basic uh, vegetables so you could make a salad or something sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't very consistent. So, you know, most of the time you're eating peas and carrots and corn and green peas and, you know, from a can. You mm-hmm. open the can. Mm-hmm. You just had to heat them up. And fruit, the same thing. <laughs> I remember Christmas time, you know, the Coast Guard used to drop uh, a couple sacks of uh, toys and candy and stuff for us. And uh-huh. they'd drop them on that big lake that we skated on where we made the bonfires. Uh-huh. They'd fly over real low and they'd drop, drop these bags out on the lake. Huh. And we'd take them home. And then we'd each get an apple and an orange and some nuts and stuff that you had to shell Uh and stuff like that. And I remember taking those things home, putting them under the Christmas tree, and I'd wake up in the morning, come downstairs, and, man, that apple smells good. (laughs) 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 I always remember that smell of the apples because you know i never experienced that before <laughs> mm-hmm. 
funny little things like that. Uh-huh. Huh. Did a fognac have pets? Like dogs? Were there... Yeah. Oh. Mostly dogs. We didn't... Mm -hmm. There's not many cats around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's dogs. Mostly... Uh, I don't know. Uh, some were used for hunting, you know, mm -hmm. uh, retrieving ducks. Mm -hmm. But others were just uh, maybe uh, early warning system for bears or something. It's bears came around. Oh, uh-huh. But my dad, he always liked the dog. Mm -hmm. But I always had to take care of it. I had to always <laughs> feed it. <laughs> <laughs> and the one, these are all outside dogs. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as a dog in the house. Mm-hmm. They stayed outside. They had their own house. <laughs> and you had to take them water, you know, all winter. There's no water outside. You got to mm -hmm. take them water that you carried from the well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, don't drink it. It, fr it freezes up, you know. And mm -hmm. you got to take it in the house, tie it out so they could fill it up again. <laughs> huh. Um. So moving on from a Fognac and into your high school experience, mm -hmm. so you chose to go to school in Kodiak? Yes. What was, I know you lived with another family during that. Is that what yes. a lot of kids did when they chose to go to uh, like high school in Kodiak? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then eventually it was, I don't know, 25 years after I got out, I think they built some dormitories oh. where the kids would come from around the island, mm -hmm. from the villages, and also down the peninsula. They come and stay in those dormitories and and uh, attend high school. Mm -hmm. And they had you know cooks and everything there, and uh, and people that watched over the kids, you know, disciplined them and made sure they were in bed on time and all all that stuff that it takes in raising kids. Mm -hmm. But it kind of fell through after, I don't know, in in the 90s, around 1990, they, hmm. they uh, abandoned that because of uh, kids were going to other schools. Oh. They, they'd go to Southeastern. Mm -hmm. uh, Sitka or they'd go to an Indian school in Oregon. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of how it it was. Did you know the family before you lived with them? Um. Yes, it was my aunt mm -hmm. and her family and they, they took me in for my freshman year mm -hmm. and then uh, her friend was Benny Benson. You know who Benny Benson is? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he was he was uh, uh, wanting to start attending the Orthodox Church. Mm -hmm. And my aunt was, uh, she was part of the church and, she, you know, she got him uh, going to church. So she'd invite him over for dinner and I got to know him really well. Mm -hmm. And uh, he'd, he'd, he'd take me out camping on the weekends. Hmm. 
huh. or going out to the beaches and you know beach combing and and then we even went deer hunting together out the road and that he told me at the end of uh in the spring at the end of my freshman year that he said you know next year if it's okay with your parents i want you to stay with me mm -hmm. and so benny wasn't married then mm -hmm. he had two daughters but uh they were married and they were out of town they were married to military so oh. they were you know transferred out of town mm -hmm. so he said uh um he asked me if I knew how to cook. And I said, well, you know, I could, I could survive. <laughs> and he said, okay, that's, that sounds good. <laughs> he said, if you could cook for us and wash dishes and, uh, you know, do the clothes like on Saturday mornings and stuff. And, uh, he had a washing machine, but no dryer. So we, mm. I washed, uh, the wash, you know, in the washing machine, then I'd hang the clothes out on the clothesline to dry. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of the clothes weren't, uh, you couldn't take them out of when they got dry and put them on because they're all wrinkled up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of clothes back then you had to iron them. Mm -hmm. So that was additional thing that you had to iron the pants, you had to iron shirts. You didn't have iron you know our t-shirts or anything in our clothes mm -hmm. but uh did that and uh let's see i did the housework on the weekends i you know vacuumed and made sure the windows were clean and mm -hmm. all that stuff and uh you know we got along fine i i stayed with him all all the rest of high school mm -hmm. through senior year and he always supported me and, you know, in my sports, he said, play basketball. He said, you'd be good at basketball. So I played basketball and he'd always go to the games and support me. And so, um, that was really cool to, you know, for a single parent to, to be that involved with a kid yeah. and, uh, um, appreciate him and support him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, <laughs> the funny thing is I went, I went to school after high school and, uh, on aircraft and helicopters and engines and stuff like that. And I came back and he said, Hey, uh, you could, uh, they need a guy, A and P mechanic. That's what I got a license mm -hmm. to work on airplanes. And I, I had that. And he said, they need one. I, uh, Kodiak Airways where I work if you want to come in and talk to the boss so I did and he said yeah uh, you got a job here and uh, uh, you could start whenever you want but you know we'd like you to start soon mm -hmm. and I was living in the fog then I went I came back from school from Los Angeles and I went right to Falling Neck because that's where my parents were because mm -hmm. I didn't see them for almost two years yeah mm -hmm. and there was no communication there was no telephones or nothing mm -hmm. couldn't call them so our communication link was writing letters mm -hmm. and that was it so i told 
when I'd be home and I came over and I, I went and spent, I don't know, two or three weeks with them. Then I came into town to start working. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, being in the military, you know, back when I turned 18, I had to register for the draft. Yeah. Everybody went into the military. Hmm. Everybody, every young guy. Hmm. 18 years of age, you have to be registered for the draft and then you'd get drafted. But you had a choice if you wanted to join or you wanted to join and go in the Navy or Coast Guard or something uh-huh. like this. Otherwise, you'd be inducted into the Army. Oh. And, and you'd be what they call a ground pounder. That means wherever you go, you walked. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which was no big deal for us, you know, because we're used to walking. You want to uh-huh. go somewhere? You know how you're going to get there. Walk. <laughs> <laughs> huh. And you chose the Coast Guard, right? No, I, oh, I no. was in the National Guard. Oh, National Guard. Okay. Army National Guard. Yeah, I spent six years in there. Okay. I went to I went to basic training in Fort Ord, California, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with all the other regular Army people. And then came back here and was in the local National Guard unit huh. for six years. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because huh. we were down there for six months. You had to take six months training. Uh-huh. Was this yeah. before you went to uh, the technical school in Los Angeles? Um, no, I went to school first. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then I had to register for the draft, and then I went into basic training. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I had my job here, and then I had to take off and go to boot camp and uh, go through that and learn everything there, and then I came back and went back to work and attended meetings. So then, is that where you were working when the earthquake and tsunami happened in 1964? Yes. Mm -hmm. I was working on aircraft, and our our hangar, what they call the hangar, was right down in the channel there. And uh, um, we were working on the goose for about two months, and we had to do a major repair on a wing and we fixed it and we we're going to push it out the door that night mm-hmm. before the tidal wave but uh he said well it was quitting time it was almost five o'clock so he said well we'll move it out in the morning mm-hmm. okay so we went home and uh then the earthquake happened that that night five thirty six p.m mm-hmm. and uh so our hangar went out, our tools, that goose inside the hangar went out the channel in the tidal wave and got all crushed up and mangled and never saw it again. Huh. Huh. But we relocated, they got another, the owner of the airline got another hangar and we, we were working out of there up by uh, King's Diner mm-hmm. and uh, 
uh, we continued on, you know, working and making, growing the airline. Uh, and another thing is, you know, my mom and dad and two sisters and brother were in a Fognac village mm-hmm. when the when the earthquake happened and the tidal wave, and they wound up having to walk to the north end of the village where the school was and walk up the mountain, mm-hmm. and they they camped up on the mountain for a couple nights. And they had to carry food and, mm-hmm. you know, water and clothes and sleeping bags and tents and, you know, canvases to make protection. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so your dad and I'm not sure exactly, I I think he's your uncle, Sheratine? Um, but they helped to choose a new location for, and for where Port Lyons is now for the village. How did they, how did they choose that? Okay. Um, uh, when this, when the tidal wave happened and, you know, it, they found out that they can't stay in a Fognac village anymore. They, they had to move away from there because the, the land is so low, it sunk like five mm-hmm. feet, huh. and it was low anyway. Oh. And so, uh, you know, big high tides with a storm, mm-hmm. the, the the ocean would come and wash across the road where we walked to school. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So um, they elected a, what they call a chief, and a committee mm-hmm. t- to uh, to go out and look for uh, a place that they could relocate the Fognac village to that would have good protection for the boats mm-hmm. and a good water supply mm-hmm. and that was higher in elevation mm-hmm. where you could build higher up on the land rather than right along the beach. Mm-hmm. And so um, my dad was elected the chief, so they went around and uh, they looked at, you know, different sites and so forth, and uh, they had a vote on it, and then they took it to the to the village population and had a meeting and mm-hmm. told them, you know, what their plan was, and here's, here's the location, and... Uh, we're going to vote on it and see what the people want to do. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how it came about, and they uh, they charged they change or they uh, chose uh, Settlers Bay, Settlers Cove. Mm-hmm. It was named that before, and then uh, later renamed to uh, Port Lyons. Hmm. So all those people from a Fognac village. Most of them went to Port Lines. Some of them maybe went to Zinke, a few people, and then some came to Kodiak. Mm-hmm. And when the village started, uh, you know, developing, they put in a water system, sewer system, and got roads. And then you could build, uh, you could pick out your lot and 
where you want to have your house and uh and that's kind of how it went hmm. so and and eventually they did build the airport there oh. air yeah airstrip mm-hmm. rather yeah mm-hmm. and that's uh you know have you seen mount ellison uh i think you've shown it to us while we were fishing near or going to a different bay we oh okay mm-hmm. uh-huh. okay yeah that they uh they named that up that mountain after my dad and it sits right above the airstrip in port lyons mm. huh. and they had a dedication there and i think it was 1973 where the governor and uh the borough mayor and everybody came over there and uh the Ellison family and mm-hmm. we had to be up there and they, when they when they named it so um yeah <laughs> that's interesting cuz i always for uh i don't know i always thought that the decision of port lions or like somehow that it was a quicker process uh because oh. i didn't realize that you know everyone went up onto a mountain to camp and tent and stay in the uh-huh. stay there for safety and so yeah mm-hmm. well see a fognac village uh was real low mm-hmm. it was low land uh, and then right above the beach was the road mm-hmm. i mean our path to you know go to school and go to store and go to post off that's where we walked and it took that all away and it the tidal wave it compromised all the um, all the wells mhm oh huh. it, it filled it with salt water and you know kelp and mm-hmm. debris and it it washed some houses uh you know half a mile back from where they used to be and our house the water came up to the kitchen cabinets that's how high it came oh wow then when the water a lot of water went way back into the swamp because it was low land and then when it was receding came back out hmm. uh it moved the house it just kind of twisted the house on the foundation huh. so our house was still livable but it wasn't real cool you know everything yeah. was kind of uh out of alignment and the floors are a little bit crooked and stuff mm-hmm. but then on the other hand there were some people that lost their whole house mhm and then others that were built on higher land they you know everything was okay mhm <laughs> and so after that happened you continued to work for the airplane manufacturing or repairing yeah mm-hmm. uh-huh. and during the tidal wave you know uh because there was no communication my mom used to run a, a radio station in oh. Fognac village and the radio was provided by the state of Alaska and they put mm-hmm. a radio in in each of the villages around the island mm-hmm. and every morning at nine o'clock and every day at four o'clock there'd be a schedule 
and it you she had to report the weather mm -hmm. and the conditions and visibility and ceiling and everything mm -hmm. for the airplanes and so forth mm -hmm. and uh you know what that was taken out in the tidal wave so after that there's no more communications at all huh so i didn't know uh two days after the tidal wave that you know they were okay yeah and you know the coast guard flew over there and you know they they saw the devastation and then they found they saw them up in the mountains under the trees and so forth where where they were camping mm -hmm. and some camped on the north end of the village the ones you know from midtown to mm -hmm. the south they they went to the south side mountain, mm -hmm. and the other people on the north side went to the north side mountain mm -hmm. which which side of the town did your family live on just about in the middle oh okay yeah yeah it our house was a little white house sitting on a hill hmm. and uh as soon as you, if you're going to uh, Fognac from Kodiak, mm -hmm. you come through what they call Yuzinki Narrows over there. Mm -hmm. uh, you could see a little white speck in a Fognac village, and that was our house. Oh, okay. Huh. And that's what you steered for <laughs> when you were on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> so then, how did how did you get in contact to know that everyone was safe? Um, eventually people start coming down after the, you know, after the tidal, uh, earthquake day, mm -hmm. we had what they call tremors, small mm -hmm. earthquakes after, and they were numerous mm -hmm. throughout the day and night. You didn't know how bad they were going to be. You were always on the alert. Mm -hmm. and had things ready that if you had to leave again in a in a hurry that you know you got to pick up the stuff and go yeah so um that just kind of how it was uh um it everybody was just kind of on edge because they didn't know what was going to happen mm -hmm. especially the people with the houses uh, lower to the ocean. Mm -hmm. 